Thank you for listening to Radio Never Apart. I'm your host, Jordan King. Radio Never Apart is a monthly interview podcast feature, which we started at the beginning of 2020, available uh, as part of the Never Apart online magazine. Never Apart is a non-profit organization in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, with the mission of initiating social change and spiritual awareness through cultural programming. Currently, exhibitions and events at Centre Never Apart's home base in the Mile X neighborhood of Montreal are on hold, while health authorities uh, are gradually reopening services and permitting small gatherings of people. But for now, the best way to find out the current status of upcoming events and what's going to be happening at Centre Never Apart is to visit the website neverapart.com or also check out social media channels like Instagram and Twitter under the username at neverapartmtl. On the Never Apart website, there's also past exhibition recaps, the Legends series of in-person interviews with artists who have previously shown in the various gallery spaces of Never Apart. Um, There's lots of incredible content there. For this episode, I spoke with Toronto-based artist, performer, and overall dynamic human being, Troy Jackson. I first met Troy when I arrived in Vancouver in the late 1990s. We met through the owners of an independent boutique in Yaletown called Global Atomic Designs, which is still there now. Troy and I discussed Vancouver nightlife at that time in the 1990s and 2000s, and Troy shared some incredible wisdom as someone at the intersection of many identities, as well as where he's focusing his energy now. Okay, yes, here we are. Miss Jackson, tell (laughs) tell our listeners out there in the world, who are you? Who I am? Yes. Who am I? Well, my name is Troy Jackson. I'm a twin. I'm a dad. I am gay. (laughs) I'm black. Um, I have, uh, I always stand in solidarity with some of my DNA, which is also indigenous as well. And yes, I am Muslim. I am a performer. I'm a writer. I express myself and express myself for quite some time. And, uh, I'm also a designer. So I do lots of you wear so many incredible hats. Oh, <laughs> hats, and, hats and hair pieces, honey. Hats and hair pieces. <laughs> I bow down. We mm-hmm. have known each other for a very, very, very long time. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. And the black's not cracking. So, hey. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. not. You are agent in reverse, like many people that I know. It's, it's, it's not fair. Good. Fifty looks good, honey. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You just celebrated a birthday recently—a major milestone birthday. Yes. Huge congratulations! Yes. Wow. Thank you. During during COVID nineteen, yes. <laughs> yes, during these kind of wacky times. Right now, it's hard to imagine that nightlife is going to happen anytime soon. It won't happen anytime soon. It won't happen the same way. Personally, as a performer, I would love to see more live. Um, uh, more ex- experiential performances yes. out where people have space to social distance, where people can take in a multifaceted way of t- interpreting a story. Yes. Um, they, they come in. I mean, I've been doing this for uh, putting in shows and doing part of shows for a long time. Yes. I, I, like, I like to feel something when I come to the door as soon as I come in. Uh, do I sign in? Do I touch something? Am I interacting with something? Yeah. Um, and then I go, what's the experience in the show? Is it, is it, is it, is it sensual? Is it, is it electrifying? Is Sensory. it, is it, the lighting just so? Is it makeup just so? Okay, is, so, uh, so I feel like. Is, is Candace Kane, is Candace Kane doing a flip on the stage as celebrity, <laughs> flicks her cigarette, and then at the end for splints, Picks a cigarette up at the end, at the edge of the stage, and starts smoking again. Yes, is it like that? Is it experiential? Um, so is let's experiential? let's start. Okay, let's yeah. let's dial this back because I'm yeah. going to describe to you one of the first times that I remember seeing you perform at Sonar Nightclub. Okay, singing the opening song performance number for the Hypernap. 
Hibernate. 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 <laughs> I was on the scaffolding with Jared or something. And there was like spotlight and draped fabric, netting fabric. Like, talk about a transcendental experience. Oh, was I, was I was on stage or was I performing or was I on stage? You were performing and it was for, oh, like, oh, that was Global Atomic Design. Global Atomic Stuff. They did so much amazing stuff as far as fashion shows um, for Cyberdog. Uh, I remember I was in a show for, uh, at After Hours Club as a part of. <laughs> That's a whole other story. We're going to um, go there. We yeah, are going to talk about that okay. time. That's scary. I won't. I won't mention any names that will be incriminating to anybody. <laughs> I'll talk lightly about the things that, that may I or may not have happened. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Um, wow. Yeah, that show. So Global that would have been 1999, I think. I, that's a very, oh very, very God. strong, very distinctive memory that I have of seeing you perform mm-hmm. when I was like just little, wee, teeny tiny baby, fresh out of the womb, going out to nightclubs, going out to fashion shows and events and parties. Uh-huh. Um, and you were like this total just like persona about town and I knew who you were because I had been reading your so this was Vancouver the year was 1998 or 99 I had been reading your column in the loop magazine which was like a free monthly nightlife magazine it was very like nightlife focused there was like fashion editorials and advertising for like no local venues and stuff and you wrote a column yes I did I loved writing that column for loop magazine um I remember here in Toronto years ago when I got into an argument with an, uh, an editor of a gay magazine here. It was a little bit back and forth where they told me that um, the magazine was not to be for name dropping. Well, I took issue with that because I think a local gay magazine should all be all about name dropping, and that's what it was actually. So um, you name drop, you name drop, you give up people, you, you big up people that you look on the scene. Yeah. Uh, I love the Loop magazine because they definitely gave props to local people that were doing really cool, amazing yes. stuff. And uh, it gave you a little bit of a window into like an alternative scene that was just becoming and burgeoning and birthing yeah. all these mainstream performers that we now see out yeah. and doing amazing things now too as well. Uh, the Loop magazine gave me a chance for a little queer black kid from Nova Scotia, small town Nova Scotia, to write for a magazine in the big city of Vancouver on yeah. the other side of the country, right? Yeah. Um, I took on, uh, I have alter egos too as well when I write because it gets me into a tone of writing, right? Sure. And so I had an alter ego called Mahogany Jackson who yes. would occasionally turn up in my episodes of my, what I was writing for the Loop magazine and she was all about fierceness and fabulous and positivity and being beautiful and and um, uh, the you know ne- negative vibes would bounce off her behind and hit the sidewalk and be down the sewer, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's the way she was, right? Yes. Of course, she was looking spectacular with you know a pair of perfect wedgie, you know, cork yes. platform, you know, shoes dancing on the podium. Uh huh, honey, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Her life, of the life was a runway, right? Life yes. was a runway, right? And so she was working that. So that was my alter ego from that. Um, and sometimes I would just really love to really get to know people, uh, you know, at a party and then name drop them. Why not? They're doing something yeah. really cool. And so it's like, that's fabulous. Yay. Yeah. Like people should know more about local stuff that's happening right outside your front door. Well, and I took so much inspiration from that because really, and, and it's so interesting to think back on that time that there was really vibrant local scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a little bit more like regional in terms of like, you may have known what was going on in like Toronto or Montreal, mm-hmm. but like there was mm-hmm. a real vibrancy and celebration of like the local stuff that was happening. Um, it felt yeah. a lot more interconnected to me personally. I think there was less of a comparison factor because pre-social media, you weren't really mm-hmm. only paying attention to or only being bombarded with like what's happening in like New York or LA or in another city or another scene. It was like, well, sure. we're doing our thing over here. I don't know what y'all are doing, but like, this is what we well, have going on. 1998 was when, um, <laughs> before, you know, when people would hand out flyers at the door and get you yes. to try to come to your party, yeah. um, all that type of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Vancouver and the Loop Magazine was just amazing as far as that goes. Like, as a writer, anyway, it was a really great way to express myself differently because yeah. I wrote a, bu- wrote a bunch of different things uh, about um, the New World Order which actually is quite relevant these days. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote about that. I wrote, I wrote about surveillance. Uh, so that was when video cameras were just starting to, like C- CCTV cameras were starting to pop up everywhere. I wrote about that. That's very current today. Um, I talked about, um, there's an article I wrote uh, for the Pride issue called Everybody, Everybody. Actually very pertinent <laughs> yeah. these days. You were always you know I mean? very outspoken, even back then, about the, the sort of, 
um, just lack of representation because a lot of the mainstream gay, you know, pride events and stuff like that were so Caucasian focused. They were very Chino, yes. uh, like Gap Chino, uh, white collar shirts. Yeah. Maybe with the colorful bed, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that so was, was very, 1998 very, you, were, uh, you were you were preaching that but it was still coming from a very loving place of saying like mm-hmm. come on everybody everybody we all there's so much more to sort of celebrate and acknowledge and and be conscious of it's great to be alive at this point in particular time at 50 to see um you know black lives matter and um, um these these people uh you know t- talking about those issues uh bringing them to the forefront um you know young black folks really uh being um irreverent and and i'll say, use the word on purpose uppity mm-hmm. right you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. uppity because they believe what they're talking about. They know what they're talking about. And other people around them are recognizing that to be true now because yeah. there's video documentation. Yeah. Um, there's video evidence. Um, there's more and more people getting interconnected through social media. There's more and more people feeling how that person felt. There's more and more people that have, um, you know, a, a black person in their family uh, yeah. or whatever. There's more people being aware of that. And so they're being really uh, forced to actually say something. It's, it's really great to be alive right now for all of that to be coming to fruition because I could be, I could be very bitter right now and be saying like some black people are actually too as well, because they're like, you're, you're posting that now, but you know, whatever. Um, I think people need to be able to grow. And I'd like to say people have grown through some of this too as well, where they might've been somewhere five years ago, even one year ago. And now they're really actively behind that. I see that in the queer community now because mm-hmm. people that were bad mouthing black lives matter when they shut down pride, Mm-hmm. <laughs> here um and brought forward all that information that needed to be brought forward in such a most beautiful powerful i, I would say eloquent yep. kick-ass black youth yes. way ah irreverence i loved it i was dying of laughter yeah and and was just loving it um to throw to they bent people's noses out of shape they bent they bent the white uh, old gay establishment which knew oppression but they were bad-mouthing Black Lives Matter for speaking yeah. up against oppression. Yeah. They had gotten comfortable. Yes. They had gotten complacent. Yeah. And now and now those old white men are parroting some of the same stuff that Black Lives Matter was fighting for then. Yeah. Now. They're yeah. doing it now. So I would say mm, sometimes they're at events and they're saying some of the same stuff. And I knew where they were saying years ago when they first said it. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd smile. Yeah. I'd well that's my hope with the podcast too and having some of these interviews is to just continue these intergenerational conversations as well and for people to realize how much has happened in the last like 10 years 20 years Um, and to just remember that we uh we're not necessarily like reinventing the wheel right now but to continue to like support not only people that are coming up with young fresh new ideas to be like wow amazing look at you dang run with that incredible i wish i had thought of that but to also (laughs) say like but let's also remember p.s like that you not only not only 20 years ago um you know there was really some pretty fierce stuff happening that we had to kind of fight through um because it was a completely different world for us like never thought when i was uh in in uh vancouver pride one of the first vancouver pride parades uh you know was pouring down rain and i'm on the gyrating in my little booty shorts uh, on some speaker (laughs) (laughs) that's when those wedge cord platforms came in handy you were not going to be wearing (laughs) a stiletto you needed a little bit more stability because it was most likely going to rain yes exactly that's when that's when it used to rain in in like whenever they had it it was like um they have it now, I think, in uh, later in, on the summertime. So yes. it was very, it's usually parched by this time. But back in that day when I first started, it was always raining. Yes. <laughs> always raining. And so um, I remember being in that and going, wow, such a different tone than now. Skip forward to 2020, where I never thought back in then that day that I would be married or able to get married. Yeah. That wasn't even a concept. Yeah. It wasn't even a concept that I would be married to another man and I have a son. Yeah, that that's not even a concept that was even. I thought it was going to be forever single, gay, fabulous, whomever in my family, and yeah. it's giving you down through the tulips 
for the rest of my life. Well, I would not have imagined this, this, you know, <laughs> domesticated situation that I'm now finding you in, but I was, I was present at the celebration of your marriage. And I've yes. been, you know, kind of seeing from a, from a slight distance, the amazing stuff that you, the way that you've been mm-hmm. growing and evolving to now have a family and all this stuff. So this is a good opportunity then. How on earth did you get to where you are now? <laughs> Take us back to the very beginning. Ooh. Nova Scotia. I grew up in Nova Scotia, um, Toronto, Nova Scotia. Um, the home of uh, the highest tides in the world because it's by the tide tidal boards at the base of the uh, Bay Fundy. Amazing. Um, uh, some some would say an idyllic little small town, um, very uh, segregated. Um, when I when I was growing up there too as well, and people would say yes, it's still segregated, which I would actually agree. So I grew up in town Toronto, Nova Scotia. I have a twin. I have a younger brother. Um, my twin is um, in film and TV as well. And um, I have a younger brother who's a massage therapist. So we grew up there, uh, Jackson 5, when we were all together because my parents are now happily divorced. But when we were there, we grew up there. Um, we had to deal with a bunch of, you know, in 1970, a petition going around to say not have black men live in the street, right? Um, to, uh, you know, my thing, my brother he has a copy of a book of, you know, um, calling Indigenous folks savages, basically. So we went to a, a white, mostly white, old-school town, um, which is doing better these days, I would say, actually. Um, but also, too, as well, very um, segregated, very aware of who we were as black kids growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very mixed visual family yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as being black in Nova Scotia. And, um, people that are from Scotia that are black families, they will know what I'm talking about because uh, multicolored hues of brown, yeah. beige, white and everything. And the crossover is spectacular. And you're going to be like, hi, cuz, how are you? And the blonde hair, blue like woman, not the black woman, turns around and says, hey, how are you? That's yeah. some type of stuff. So I grew up with one of those families, very old families, been there forever. In order for me to come out, I could not come out there. Um, hmm. anybody, anybody either makes up your business or knows it. So hmm. <laughs> having said that, I went to um, to Burnaby, landed in Burnaby, uh, BC, BC, thinking that I was getting away from all the snow. That The year that I moved out there was this huge snowstorm. <laughs> huge. <laughs> and so I remember getting dragged to Burnaby Mountain and going, what the heck have I moved to? Yeah. Um, Skip forward to um, past and the blur that was my uh, academic days at Douglas College okay. <laughs> in New Westminster and uh, training with the uh, SFU track team on the side. Wow. Um, I actually, uh, at that point, I was still um, a national athlete um, competing at that level for wow. long jumping and sprinter and all that sort of stuff. So all I was these a, I was years a I've known you, I never knew about I that chapter. Troy, I was a what? jock, honey. I was a jock. What? I was a jock, squatting, squatting, <laughs> honey. My my calves were amazing. They were like huge, <laughs> huge. That muscle memory um, yeah. is still in there, baby. You still got <laughs> yeah, it. Still- Hey, no, no kidding. <laughs> tap, tap. So, um, <laughs> so skip forward. And so I was always, you know, how do I get, how do I leave this very, um, cause at that point in time too, as well, I was living with a bunch of other jocks and if anybody who's ever lived with a bunch of guys in a house, wow, the whole eroticism and stuff like this is just way too confusing for me. I mean, yeah. I saw like, it, I was like, what's happening here? And I'm the gay one. Anyway, so I, as soon as I can get out of here, get out of there, I skippy-doo-doo-dod down from Burnaby Mountain into the city. Yeah. I would take the bus down. I would, uh, you know, all that type of stuff and everything. Um, I remember working and being um, uh, scouted, I guess you would say, for Starbucks coffee <gasps> at, Champ, right. at Champ Sports at Metro Town Center. <laughs> right. Because Starbucks back then really wanted to like, they were cultivating kind of this very like hip workforce. Like they really wanted hip to hire workforce. like... They wanted young, new people. Yeah. Um, they wanted people... Because uh, back in that day too as well, it was very much... I mean, I was making, you know, really good money yeah. by the, my Starbucks end of days because they actually had... Um, good pay for people doing that type of work i had extended medical dental benefits yeah i had stock because i had worked there before it went public i had stock that was in my name every year i couldn't afford to buy it but i mean or i didn't buy it um but it was sold back to me every year in my name and i made the money from that yeah um so starbucks is very at that point in time i mean i'm not really big up on the corporate culture but as far as it's starting out as a more mom and pops 
I worked for Starbucks before the Indian music came and the commercials and all the yes. other stuff came. Yeah. It was just more mom and pop, more mom and pop-ish that we moved up the West Coast from Seattle to Vancouver at that point in time. So I was scouted by that. That got me downtown. I was working in CareSale. Right. <laughs> so with CareSale one, I met some really great friends uh, from Global, Global Atomic. That's started Global Atomic Designs later, Astrid, Astrid uh, 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 Fox and, and, yeah. and Warren Mature. I met them there uh, through all that type of stuff. And it was really, um, it was a way for me to get from Burnaby into the city, something. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, I would, people are like, how are you getting downtown? I took that bus for a long time and fall asleep time sometimes at the junction point and end up back downtown <laughs> have to go home that to express bus from the Burnaby mountain where sfu is down to the city yes, yes. i've only ridden it a couple times it was many many years ago but it's definitely but if you, fall asleep, it's... you might end up back at where you started from <laughs> so yes <laughs> so i made it downtown through that actually through okay. that pinpoint and then i started to go a little bit um, you know, uh, started to really, uh, you know, those even before I, I quote unquote came out, okay. you know what I mean? I started to really sort of start, you know, looking around and stuff like this. But once I did c- come out and just start going out and stuff like this, it was on. I was in love. I was in and, love. And tell me about the nightlife scene in Vancouver then. Tell me about what, what t- <laughs> time period it was and just the, the scene in general. It wasn't as polished, I would say, yeah. at that particular time. And I would say places like the Shaggy Horse, which is more like, um, you know, leather bar that was trying to branch out and make a little bit more cash from the more hipster crowd. Um, I remember those nights. That was like Louis Machuca and Clarence and Lovely yes. Lisa. And they played really great acid jazz and got crowds into that. It was really great dancers. And people were dancing with each other. And they would dance with each other, not towards the Well, maybe towards the DJ too, but they were dancing with each other. And yeah. you would like, you know, mock the moves of someone next to you and they would try to up your run and it was not competition it was more like fun and just yeah. that type of thing way more interactive that way yeah. um celebrities um was not the download version that we see now in 2020 it was Definitely more the not. it was more the floor is bowing <laughs> bowing from the weight and are we gonna fall through sort of thing i remember going around that balcony upstairs and oh. there was like a giant hole a giant in the hole. floor <laughs> <laughs> and it was like oh just like, just don't make sure to keep an eye out for the hole in the floor it was much more like darker yeah. um underground um you know the straights were there was a few straights that would come down and party with you and they thought yeah. they were cool and that was before all that type of stuff um you know the full integration and the crossover and the like wow it's a gay bar but there's like more you know people making other straight than you know that type yes. of stuff so it was before the, all that came one of my best memories is walking into a place called the Gym Gallery. Yes, of course. And seeing Michael Reena as Cotton. Yeah. And seeing um, Greg. Yes. <laughs> Luca, Miss Luca Ladybug. Luca, I think, was hanging off the balcony, just gyrating like nobody's business. Whoa, 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 whoa. And the music was going, and, and uh, Dickie, Richard, Richard Dickie Deal was DJing. Yeah. Um, it was, I was like, what did I just walk into? Yeah. I mean, it was fashion and makeup and wigs and hair. And I was like, I found my people. Yes. Oh my God. And I was, like I said before, I was in love. Yeah. And so when I would ever hear Josefina's or Michael, Michael, the, the, that crew doing something, I would definitely go. Cause it's definitely guaranteed to meet some really great people. Yeah. See some really whacked out, amazing performance, fashion, uh, costume, and the creation, yeah, all that. Yeah. yeah, I love breathing air like that. And when yeah. you want to be around creative people, I would go to those areas and breathe in the air. Yes, yeah, and look at the stuff and be inspired. Oh, yeah. It was already getting increasingly very difficult to find those kinds of spaces and yes. to encounter yes. that kind of energy over time. It felt like it was getting sort of strangled out by just the amount of like, you know, money involved in nightlife and gentrification. Well, and all this gentrification, kind of stuff. drug money. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> Where it came it became more about the drugs and what they were selling as opposed to the party and the music and stuff. There was a stint that I did uh, live and work at a well-known after hours. The cops were not having it. The cops would come in one door and I'd be going out the other door. You know what I mean? Or um, they'd be like, great, and you'd have to run out like you were doing anything wrong. And all you were doing was, was dancing. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like, what is this, Footloose? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So it was and- like that. And also it was the era of 
there was warehouse space to be had in Vancouver yeah. before all the gentrification happened. Yeah. So I would just go into beautiful parties where you go up in a freight elevator and you'd be with somebody. Like I remember one time, I forget this woman's name. She was a party a party event thrower as well, and she had a she was dressed up in a mask and she had a whip and with this beautiful settee velvet velvet. And you would sit in the settee and go up in this freight elevator to this floor and you get out. And this party is packed. And then the music would stop and the lights would stop and you're like, oh, what happened? And they go up ever so slightly and then go up and then boom, models would come out and they'd be like moving you out of the way to do runway and presenting this beautiful collection of clothing. Yeah. And then the lights would go at the end and then the music would come up again and music would come on and you'd be like, what was just that? (laughs) What was just that? (laughs) I mean, I have moments where I think back to that stuff and I'm like, did I dream it? Like, did I imagine it? Because there was a spontaneity, there was just an mm-hmm. energy, and like, and it was Vancouver. Like, Vancouver yeah. is not necessarily somewhere that, as the like two thousands rolled along, really yes. felt necessarily like fresh or creative or dynamic per se. Well, and I'm like, was it? Yeah. Wasn't it like? I feel like that happened. Did I or did I dream I, it? <laughs> you didn't dream it at all. I think it was a very beautiful. Um, I, I call often call Vancouver Shangri La Da. Yes. Right, because the mixture of the ethereal magic of the mountains and the clouds and and that type of thing, and then the ocean and the yeah. and then people named Merlin and Pan and blah blah blah, you know, um, that you run into, and uh, it's a very um, sort of more uh, I would say spiritual, but I would say that. Uh, West Coast, East Coast vibes are very different. East yes. Coast is very Protestant, work ethic, money, money, money. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, I would say the West Coast is more uh, lifestyle oriented, meaning outdoorsy, yeah. meaning activated, meaning you have coffee dates in your calendar already. That's part of your day. Yoga is part of your day. It's not something you stick on at the end. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I really loved being out there for that. Um, that energy and also too as well being from a big black family even if I had moved to Toronto at that time I, my family would have been known by name mm. I wanted to be a bit more anonymous and at that point in time in Vancouver in the, in the late 90s early 2000s I mean uh, you could count the black people and <laughs> you could count the black people and I laugh and talk with friends of mine that are in Vancouver now and they we still do that yeah. <laughs> you yeah. could count the black people and so um, I could go out there uh, I'm a twin I said before so I was I was a, a Jackson, I was the Jackson twin, was yeah. one of the Jackson twins. So people either knew me or knew of me where I grew up. It was lovely to be anonymous, yeah. but also stand out because yeah. I was the only black person somebody met. You were like colorful, you were dynamic, you were a performer, you were a columnist. I mean, you were so memorable. <laughs> and so needless to say, I mean, I still remember the first time I ever laid eyes on you at Global Atomic Designs and you were wearing something, I'm sure, like just over the top next level because let's also, P.S., throw some love to Warren and Astrid at Global Atomic Designs for keeping us yes. so phenomenally outfitted during well a time clothed. when there was, well there was not necessarily, you know, there was some little sprinklings of options in a place like Vancouver but they had stuff that for that time was just like you did not get it anywhere else nobody else had it and it was also because of it speaks volumes to how who they are people yeah because those brands that they were bringing in they're not just going to bring them in for anybody they're not just going to allow anybody to sell them they had to be people in the know know what they're doing yeah Um, and they also really appreciate as as their work ethic in their store but also their music their love of music their love of fashion um, community um, arts community too as well right I really love that I mean Global Atomic, they had some really, I mean, one of my best memories too as well as being part of their Cyberdog show. And for those of you who don't, don't know who Cyberdog is, it's a designer out of the UK yeah. who um, their stuff might look quote-unquote normal-esque uh, in daytime light, but once you go into black light, all these other colors come out and it's amazing and beautiful yeah. and vibrant and neon and all this type of stuff. And they did that show in all black lighting, so no lights were on in the whole entire after hour space. And it was all black lighting, and it was the makeup was amazing, and the, it was yeah, fabulous, fabulous. It was an Nobody incredible time. I mean, I really think back to that, and I just think it was like so. There was just real vibrancy and real energy to all of that, to you know their events and just the amount of people mm-hmm. that were like putting on fashion shows that were quite distinctive and had a lot of yep. personality and just like thought that was being able to put into them. And I think yep. that as the two thousands rolled along, I mean, my yep. sense, I still lived in Vancouver at that time was that it just yes. got harder and harder. The laws surrounding nightlife were, were, you know, they were so clamped down on. There was definitely a time when I would say a lot of drug flexing money. Yeah. Right. 
And sometimes I'd be uh, at places where, without naming, there would be uh, uh, well-known gangs with their colors showing. And I'm like, they're obviously marking territory for whatever's going on. Maybe it was uh, to take ownership of the drug scene happening there. Because, of course, our scene, we'd be remiss to say that there wasn't drugs being there, right? And so, yeah, exactly, right? You know, people get their their play however they do, right? And so um, there was a lot of money in that. And so when that started to come to more play those quote-unquote parties that were very around community and building and activation and and like just just to really good music and dancing and socializing and maybe drinking and stuff i guess but not more not so much with the drugs they um they started to get pushed out or started to get a little bit more fearful or the places where you could play after hours were a little bit more dodgy or the people that were running it were a bit more dodgy yeah And so I wasn't feeling at a particular time too as well going out after hours that I was actually in safe places because of course when you're going into some of these after hours clubs are in some of the best real estate in downtown Vancouver but you had to go down to the basement and go past the boiler room and into whatever and how are you getting out if the capacity is over which a lot of the times it was how are you getting out if something happens. And where to go? That was that's not, not safe. Not safe. <laughs> so, <laughs> not safe at all on so many levels. Yeah, no kidding, right? It was yeah. more word of mouth the party. Yeah. So your first party might only have like fifty people, but then it was a good party. It'd be a hundred next time, and then yeah. we'd be packed out there five after yeah. that word of mouth. Yeah. Right. I will always preach up the local. I will always yeah. highlight the local. I yeah. will always highlight the stuff around me because why? You highlight the industry or the the stuff that's happening around you. The more people get involved, the more people get activated, the more people, the more easier your work will be. Yeah. Um, you will get contacted for other stuff because you help make that scene vibrant and beautiful. When I started this this game of performing, I was very, I was a little bit older, I would say, but 28 at the time too as well, right? Yeah. And I always wanted to sing and perform and stuff like this, but because of being in the closet and being from Nova Scotia and, it, and that day too as well, I mean, even now, it not being a people looking at society looking at arts is not a viable option. To, how are you going to pay your bills? And yes. Da, 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 da. yes. Do you make your money from that? And blah, blah, blah. That judgment that comes with that. Yes. Um, I pushed through all that because the inspiration that I got from other people. And if I want to, I felt like if I want to learn at a higher curve and yeah. how I know I learn, I had to immerse myself and be learning from by osmosis honestly so you know what honey as much as i might have been inspiring you when i was standing beside your beautiful self when you both both one stage back in the day i was rubbing up to get some osmosis energy preach (laughs) preach 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 and also like let's collaborate we don't need to compete we can collaborate we can all you know lift each other up and make cool magic happen when we're Mm -hmm. vibing off of each other so love it wow it was just such a eye-opening like uh, experience as far as like acceptance of self for yeah. me came yeah. through expression think think came through expression yeah um an expression was me going on the dance floor and hearing a beautiful house track and being inspired by the lyrics and singing at the top of my my lungs because yeah. nobody could hear me yeah. <laughs> at the club before i could actually get comfortable with singing live i did this boy band project back in the day that sort of went south but it was very uh, eye-opening to what i wanted didn't how i how i would want to approach art yeah how i didn't want to approach art how uh, communication with people when you are, are feeling that your voice is not being heard, um, you either have to step away from situations or actually have to find a way to invigorate yourself to, to, to occupy the space and to uh, really, I would say, allow yourself to take up the space and say something. Yeah. Uh, as a black person in O Canada, um, that can be tricky depending on where you were, where yeah. you are. And especially because I, um, podcast people want to see what I look like, but you can look that up, mm-hmm. but I look younger than I was. Yeah. And so often I was in rooms where people thought I was 18, but I was actually 28. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I was, um, you know, 35 and they thought I was just 25, just starting out or whatever. Yeah. And I wasn't, I had been there for a while. So I actually through looking through the black down crack. Yes. <laughs> you know, DNA blessing. You're ageless, um, darling. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're privy to information. So yes. younger people would come and share stuff with you that necessarily they wouldn't share with somebody who maybe appeared older. Yeah. Um, sometimes older people that had been in the scene just as long as you were 
but maybe didn't didn't remember yeah. <laughs> by that time. Yeah, they would sort of talk to you a certain way, and you're like, you maybe had to remind them. Go, hi, hello, it's actually me. Yes. <laughs> out of the wig, out of the whatever I was doing at the time, it's me here. Um, but also too, as well, I would say we're seeing in 2022 the reminders and people being reminded that also too as well we've also come a long way as a black community and POC community too as well. But there is stuff still going on that we have to deal with. We haven't made it yet. Yeah. Yes, our gay institutions are vibrant and doing all kinds of amazing things, but also too as well, how diverse are they? Yeah. Uh, are they trans inclusive? Are they how are they talk about trans issues? Yeah. How are they activating that? How are they you know? And sometimes. Right now, it's really great to see that we're in 2020 where people are actually getting out the way, meaning you can't, if you want to change, you're going to be able to share power. Yeah. Right? People are afraid of of sharing power with disenfranchised people because they think that sometimes disenfranchised people are going to treat them the way that the disenfranchised have been treated. I can say from my experience, I don't want to treat nobody in no crappy way that I've been ever treated. Yeah. However, I do want to take space up where I am, whether it's writing, performing or whatever, to say a really great story. Yeah. To make sure that other people are getting activated too. Yes. <laughs> Your energy is just like, I mean, truly, if nobody's, if, you know, somebody listening has not ever seen you perform or necessarily heard of your, your work before, um, I mean, it just is like vibrant. It is... <laughs> totally energetic it is energizing uh mm-hmm. and that does that has this osmosis spillover effect to want to get people to get up off you know get up onto your feet and to get engaged with the performance with the piece with the energy that you're giving out i mean it's just really it's so beautiful it's all about tone and i say tone i.e music tone but a, t- a toning yeah so a, a, t- a toning meaning well forgiveness and all the type of stuff too is all that can mean in that word but a toning means a uh, toning two words yeah so when you tone a room, so often I would go into a room sometimes and go, just go, and try to tone the room, meaning feeling how the acoustics are in the room because every room is different. Yeah. Uh, it will change from when there was five people in when you're doing sound check to when it's full. Yeah. And so I would tone the room, meaning like tone it up. And then, because for me too as well, sharing your breath is a blessing. Yeah. People don't look at the fact that uh, we are magic by being. Yeah. We take a we take a breath in. Yeah. And we're activated into this realm of being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was there for the birth of our son. We uh, we had our son through surrogacy. A beautiful, powerful, amazing surrogate that we had. Such a blessing to have have her in our in a life, and she um, was so um, activated and powerful. But to be there for the birth of our son and to see that process. Yeah. I mean, first first of all, mad respect to. Um, folks that have birth babies. Yeah. I say folks because it includes a bunch of different yes. people and body types and, and, and that type of gender uh, issue, trans yeah. issues and gender and all that type of thing too as well that people, people folks that have birth babies, wow! <laughs> my... I have never witnessed it personally, but I um, my understanding is that it's like life changing for anyone who's witness to the it's a vortex of a soul coming into you from the all that is that is bigger yeah. than all of us yeah. coming into the cause through the cosmos yeah. in through this beautiful opening that was a pin. <laughs> yeah. um, and then being there, I mean, in uh, wow, we were blessed with this beautiful child. So, I mean, they take the breath. You take, we all take a breath. Yeah. And then we, how we end and move on from this realm is we end by taking our last breath. Yeah. And yeah. so for yeah. me, I'm also too as well. I mean, I don't always live by it because it's hard sometimes, but I mean, what, uh, there's a prayer, there's a, there's a, there's a Muslim prayer mm-hmm. that is, is called the prayer of light. One of the favorite uh, prayers of the prophet Muhammad. And it's one of the lines I try to remember all the time. Cause you know how sassy I can be yes. <laughs> yes. light on your tongue. Light on your tongue, yeah. light in your eyes, light in your skin, light. You know, for me, I try to remember that because um, I'm trying to keep it positive with the words. Um, I often say, "Don't waste your airtime while you're here." Yes. Right. Um, in 2012, I had a really bad accident. I almost died. Um, I was in the hospital in an incubated coma state for about three days uh, until the swelling and all that stuff went down my brain. Right. Gosh. Um, so. One of the takeaways from that experience was that um, you savor your time here. Yeah. People that often have these experiences, like near-death experiences, which I've had a couple yeah. uh, in my life, yeah. um, 
they, um, you know, you come back each time and you're reminded. Well, I was reminded of what's important. Yeah. You know, and uh, performing three months later on stage or whatever I was, yeah. couldn't hear, still hear properly out of my left ear yeah. because of the damage uh, from the crack from ear to ear that I had. <laughs> um, I was thinking of performing, but I couldn't actually even hear myself out of one ear. Yeah. It was quite the uh, life-changing experience. Queer folks are survivors by DNA. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a beautiful... Um, uh, performer, artist, DJ, um, parent, um, uh, uh, Cyrus Marcus Ware in community. And they had a show called Resistance on the Sound Dial for uh, the station at U of T. Amazing interviews, amazing things. But when they interviewed me one time, I was introduced as coming from queer ancestry. Mm-hmm. I, love the way, I love the way they put it. I love the way Cyrus put it. It was, it was, it was queer ancestry. Yeah. And I never... I was like, oh, that hit. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, yeah. I like, that I like it. Yes. Right? You know Performers and shapeshifters. Yeah. Yeah. I am I'm just inspired by the people that, that have been, you know, I've shared some air with. I've yeah. interviewed. I've, you know, I mean, yeah, the, the, Martha Washington, the Weather Girls, talk to her. I know Diva, right? You can interact with her and ask, some, ask her some good questions. Otherwise, the flick of the eyelids and... She's sort of done. You know what I mean? Um, you know, interviewing um, Lady Bunny, who's like so like... Sharpshooter, rapid fire. Sharpshooter like our current mayor, <laughs> who, wasn't ready, who wasn't ready for me when he compliments my pink shirt. And I said, are you hating on me, John Tory? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta take those things that you can, right? Yeah. Because years, he skipped years later to when John Tory wasn't so appreciative of the message that Black Lives Matter was bringing. Yeah. Uh, I'm in an auditorium full of people at a Muslim celebration that I was uh, hosting with my husband, um, Al Farouk, and we were, it was, uh, you know, and uh, I remember seeing him sitting sitting there in the audience, knowing that he had just been publicly dissing Black Lives Matter and what they were saying, and I was like, what can I say right now that's more eloquent than what I want to say yeah. <laughs> right now? What can I do it? So I looked right at him and I said, this year I've been reminded that my black life does matter. Mm-hmm. And everybody and started because it was a really progressive, you know, da, 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 clapping and stuff. I guess the only person that I noticed wasn't clapping was really was really him, actually. Mm-hmm. But then I belted out a song right afterwards, and he had to clap for me because he looked up because <laughs> yeah. everyone's clapping. Right? Yeah. So you make your points when you can. Um, I was in a room with uh, I think I mentioned earlier where one of the vocal people. And I'll, I'll loosely not name the person, but they're well-known in, in queer community, lawyer, fought for some really essential rights for us in, commu- in queer community. Yeah. But then I would say forgot how cush they were because they're, 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 they're gay, white, older, now established, have their money, and da 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 They done made it. Um, they were at a meeting after we had all met. Actually, they came late to this meeting. Where I actually just brought up the fact that now you hear now queer older gay men who are criticizing BLM for the overhaul of the SIU, the Special Investigations Unit of Police Forces, mm-hmm. they were now parroting the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I made a point. I made a point to bring it up at the meeting yeah. that this is what Black Lives Matter say for a long time, and now this guy that was critical of them is now parroting the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just this, this queer elder. Yeah, um, was on right wing media talking smack about Black Lives Matter, yeah. and I'm like, "What are you doing? What yeah. are you doing?" Right? Um, and now skip forward. Now, like I said before, and now what are people saying? Uh, relooking, revamp SIU and defund the police. Yeah. <sighs> yes. Yes. The seriousness is all in there because one of the people here in Black Lives Matter, and I mean, Cyrus Marcus Ware, um, Ronnie Deverlius, De- De- I mean, they um, they are very, at the, they're at the forefront of, from my, in my mind, the people that I know that are part of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. I mean, they're artists. They're the artists. They are artists. Um, at the time of, of blocking down pride, they were also students. They have other things to be doing with their time than to, um, I would say, I would say, well, lives on the line, I would say yes, because yeah. actually, the amount of hassle and scrutiny that some of these people went through after that yeah. was just like, it was, it was frightening, but it was also for me expected. And so I love art. I love performance. 
Yeah. Uh, I love activation. I love all that stuff. So yeah. I also grew up in a family where my grandmothers had to be fierce and fabulous. Yeah. They had to speak up. My um, my dad's mother had to say stuff. Had to say stuff. Uh, being the mother of like, um, you know, eleven kids and um, uh, black in, in Nova Scotia in that day. And this is before. And because a lot of people think that there was no racism here in Canada. That's my my parents is a generation that desegregated the school system here in Canada. Yeah. So yes, yeah. it was segregated in that day. So my parents are in the seventies. Yeah. Late seventies. That's also long ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So people, I was encouraged from a very young age to speak up for myself, um, but also to as well to think for myself, yeah. which also to as well I, is I think is missing from some things yeah. um, these days as far as education and stuff, like thinking for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, I mean, I'm watching TikTok and video of kids like having back and forth, I'll say chats with their parents about racism. And they, yeah. they have they, they have the jargon, they yeah. have the sass down, they have the comparison. The parents are coming up with old school ways of thinking. Yeah. The, the kid's like, well, yeah. And so I am encouraged to as well buy that stuff I've been saying for a long time. <laughs> um, yes. People are now saying and being really activated, activated that way. There's a meme going around saying now that your feed is now free of the Black Lives Matter solidarity stuff, this is still going on. Totally. Totally. Yeah. The undoing, the undoing, yes. the yeah. the where it's mainstream, where it's mainstream articulated talk to say yes, Canada is based upon colonialism and genocide. Yeah. Where it's that's a fact. It's not fiction. It's not me saying oh, all white people are awful and blah 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 blah. It's a way of saying you as a white presenting person yeah. benefit from that way it's been set up from the from the get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and people that don't look like that um, are perceived in another different way or that conversation or that term now that's on everybody's systematic racism. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> if a culture, if, if, a, if a society is based upon white beef, I'll say white supremacy in small caps, because that I think is a fallacy as well. Mm. Um, the white supremacy. What is, what is white anyway? What is that? Mm. Polish, Russian. <laughs> what is it? What is What is that? What is, what is white? What is black? Ugandan, Nova Scotian, <laughs> mm. <laughs> Nigerian, Kenyan. What is that? Mm-hmm. So I think these broad strokes of terms actually um, takes away the nuanced conversation that needs to be talked about um, where people come from, how people are different, how people are similar. Um, and I think when you get down to the bare bones of it, mm-hmm. um, you're blood just like me, honey. Yeah. And that yeah. is, and I will say for everybody because I'm sorry as I speak to you, white presenting, uh, uh, beautiful, you are. Um, you're not part of the one percent. So we're all being manipulated by the gazillionaires that have too much money and too yeah. much time in their hands yeah. because we're all working here making the money for them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all fighting all fight and jingle and jangle for the crumbs. Yeah. Right? The so indi- we're still in that servitude to just try to like have a little roof over our heads. Yes. Meanwhile, the we're pyramids, not the ones. We're not the ones running it. And we're all fighting people that are just trying to pay their bill. Try to get their food, yeah. and da, 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 based upon a false narrative of our collective history. And I'll say yeah. collective, yeah. because that's not what we have right now. We have a very Eurocentric way of telling the way the world is. And as yeah. you see, all those uh, statues coming down everywhere. Yeah. Yay! Hello, hall- hallelujahs! Yes, <laughs> right. Praise be. Uh, yeah. That type of stuff is coming down everywhere. Um, why should we, as POCs, as Black people, as Indigenous folks, why we, should we be reminded of our genocide every time we walk by some venerated or park, uh, or, park or name or whatever that's being celebrated on our on our on our on our blood, on our death, basically, and on occupied um, land, uh, occupied land, on occupied, and also I'd say uh, the word unseated. Yes. I always say that's I say that's plain white speak for stolen. Yes, right. Exactly. I might get stolen. Yeah. Well, I bring it back to that because for me, as um, and I say this to you as well because I mean I know uh very much it's, it's very everybody's anti-black racism. I would say for me right now, uh, me being in the space that I am, mm-hmm. meaning that um, also as well as a Muslim, we believe that we needed to pay respect to the people whose land we're on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the land we're on is not, I mean, I was bought here, indigenous servitude, slavery to this continent. Um, that's my DNA got here. Um, um, I am too as well from settler DNA too as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, my uh, anti-black pushback or where I get my fortitude to go from that, I always look and try to center it on 
first on anti-indigenous racism mm -hmm. and go from there. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. What am I recognizing? What am I just doing chit chat to, but not actually um, putting my words behind it. Mm -hmm. I mean, growing up in, in Toronto, Nova Scotia, uh, next to the Millbrook um, uh, Indian Reserve is what is called the Millbrook Reserve Reservation. So in the Indian Reserve back in the day was what was referred to. Um, growing up next to Millbrook, beautiful, amazing, vibrant people, amazing. Yeah. yeah. But it was worse. It was worse in 1970s to be Indigenous than it was to be Black. Yeah. Right. And that speaks volumes for the way that we need to, um, for me personally, uh, undo. Yeah. We need to get back to the root of the issue, right? Which yeah. is indigeneity being wiped out, wiped out, genocide, and and that type of thing. I want to hear stories from them. Yeah, I want to hear more people taking up space. I want to see more and more institutions of learning that are giving up space, that are moving aside. They're not saying, "Well, on this panel, what are we going to talk about today? We're going yeah. to do this, and we're going to implement some of these issues that we bring up today." No, we want you to give up your power on the panel, yeah. move aside, yeah. and let me do what I know to do, and you learn from me. And some of the most exciting conversations I will say that I have had, even in the last year, because some of them were, let's say, prior to six, within the last six months when the world was radically kind of affected by COVID-19, but um, mm -hmm. you know, even, yeah, in the past however many years, like some of the most exciting conversations I've had with, with much younger people that are coming up is with people that are of First Nations heritage that are like 18 to 21 that are fiercely connected to their culture, fiercely identifying with their culture, even if they're from a mixed you know race kind of situation. Um, um, yes. That are from First Nations background that are like, we are here, we are ready to like fight and to yes. celebrate and to connect and to empower. In my lifetime, I saw it with the, the Arab Spring. Yeah. The activation, which is very much women led as well. Then, the of course, they get pushed to the narrative there because um, the patriarchy and whatnot. And that's globally, not just there. And then um, it was uh, the I Don't Know More movement here. That's, that started yes. up to as well. Yes. And then the Black Lives yeah. Matter movement, I would say, uh, for me, really got me really paying attention to youth and what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, I did a song called Icons, and one of the lines is, Colonial clowns still selling you. Remember that in all that you do. We're stepping down off that auction block because we don't like what we've got. Yeah. I will make so, sure, I will post the link to that video <laughs> to go along with the podcast which you sent to me Please and do. I loved, I lived Please for that video. Do. That one was, uh, that came to me in a dream and it was in, originally inspired for my my indigenous ancestry, my black ancestry because a lot of the, a lot of, they experienced a lot of trauma at the, at the shore where yeah. the land meets the shore, yeah. right? So taken away from the, the, the continent of Africa, the shore there, yeah. I mean, here, yeah. the shore here, also to as well, indigenous, indigenous folks welcoming um, explore uh, people from the forest, so the white folks too as well, the Europeans coming here, yeah. that type of stuff. But there being a healing that maybe needs to happen at the water or that needs to be happening with people actually saying stuff out loud. And so in my naivete, back in that day when I first wrote that song, it goes, my Turtle Island ancestors, they echo me, meaning they're part of the chorus, because that's what I heard. I heard my dream an echo cacophony of voices saying, just simply, to the energy they were saying without, it wasn't destructive, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, that wasn't, that was, that was, Bye 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 bye. They say bye 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 bye. They say because they were saying goodbye, and the power of them saying goodbye was just going with their words, putting out a bunch of energy, blowing away all the negativity, and dissolving it. It was that's how I felt from that was inspired me to write to write the song. And so I said they will rescue me. Well, they didn't rescue me. They were leading me. Yeah, they were leading me. Meaning, you're, I'm getting out of the way of my indigenous, and I'm getting out of their way, and they're leading me. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, that's through art. That's yeah. art. Yeah. That's that's also visual that really spurs something or a sound or a, that spurs you on to write this. I mean, it was amazing to, and fun to do that. All my productions have usually been um, self-funded by me. Yeah, because I just do it that way. I'm not about uh, uh, going for the money. Or... There's less and less out there now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would say that I I don't 
feel that I have to, as an artist, go to mainstream and ask, give me money to produce something, yeah. I'll do it. I have the power on my cell phone now to shoot a wicked, amazing video. I don't need to have a big budget. I don't need to get you to uh, to say my stuff is good. I'm going to put it on myself. I know. And it's you so tricky I mean? because even sometimes it's like not just the approval process of like grant application and writing letters yep. and waiting. And meanwhile, you're like, it's that, that energy is there to create and to produce. And then it just sort of fizzles and can dissipate over time if it doesn't yes. get brought to fruition. Yes. And so I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a total believer in doing everything you want to do. Um, you do it on your, your own budget, do it on no budget. Yeah. Like I said before, yeah. as I hold, hold up waving my, my smartphone, the power that you have in that with the technology, yeah. with going tick, with editing on your phone, yeah. with a recording really amazing, like amazing video, amazing sound. If you, you're doing it right. Yeah. It's in the palm of your own hands. So there's, there's, I would say there ain't no excuse. <laughs> yes, it's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so tell me what's um, what's what's in the future for you? What are you working on, and what are you working towards? Oh, I am. Um, so right now, I am. Uh, so percolation mode, just coming out of that because of all this lockdown, shutdown, um, has really um, sort of shifted my focus to what what I want to do. Yeah. Fifty, I'm a dad. Um, I sometimes my time is pressed. You know, I'm out, always available um, uh, for certain, certain times of the day, all that type of stuff. What, how do I, am I going to activate my time? So what I'm doing is actually I'm developing an online um, more media portal, I would say, called Ahem News. Mm-hmm. <coughs> News, mm-hmm. right? Where it's irreverency, where it's irreverent, where it's queer, where it's opinion pieces and people that write the news. Um, I, like to, I like to really sort of dissect the news or take it in and see how I feel with it and then give my opinion back. Yeah. That's what I like to do. So I'll be writing more opinion pieces, um, unless I'm there for the you know uh, the inside scoop on something. Then, then it will be a new piece, right? But having said that, I for, for me that is one thing I'm working on. I'm always working on new music. Um, also, too, as well, my uh, clothing our, our clothing line that I've started with my husband. It's inspired by our son Tajali. Uh, it's called Supreme Tamu, which uh, Supreme, of course, we all know what that means, like ultimate. And then Tamu is Swahili for sweetie. Hmm. And we, we call them our, our Supreme Tamu. And so this clothing line that I've started with, uh, it started as a kid's clothing line um, through a partnership with Ryerson University, their fashion zone there. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a member of the fashion zone at Ryerson University. I'm working on this line of clothing. But now the COVID-19 sort of put everything on pause. Yeah. Um, but I'm also getting ready for another fashion show. Um, it's called Toronto Kids Fashion Week. That happens in December of this year. Uh, we had a really great showing and really, really great, like a thunderous applause feedback from the audience at our last showing there last year. Um, now I'm going to be branching out into adult clothing as well because, of course, people were seeing our fabulous clothing and they were saying, "Where's my size?" Yes, where's the grown-up size? Yeah, exactly. So those are the things that are keeping me busy. I was will always keep busy with music. Yeah, always keep busy with writing. And always keep busy with designing or creating and some because I like to also touch and feel texture and stuff yes. too as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are just some of the things I'm doing. Love um, it. Yeah, I mean, my exploits uh, are are like far reaching. I mean, I'm also to well, just to drop it into as well. I'm also the co-founder of an egalitarian um, LGBTQ um, affirming. Um, gender equal, equal uh, Muslim Islamic mosque as well, wow. and that I founded. Uh, I, I founded in 2009 with my husband Alfred Kaki and a friend of ours, uh, Lori Sil- uh, Dr. Lori Silver. We founded that because, based because um, we're Muslim. Um, yes, people say, oh my gosh, how can he be Muslim and gay? And da, 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 the story of Lot. And like, that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. Yes. <laughs> they'll, they'll start throwing that at me. And me, I say this, I say, God loves us all. God's the ultimate judge and you ain't God. So go mind your business over there <laughs> and I'll mind mine over here. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I also, I also have the work that I still do with that. That type of work so that's opening up community that's um representing that's um uh, making space making sure that queer muslims um that feel that they don't want to run away from the religion yeah can come back can come to us get resources to fortify how they can still be gay, gay queer wherever they are yeah and still 
existed within this beautiful, complex way of, of navigating the world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty amazing. And um, as people ask me, they're like, "Why would you convert to Islam?" Oh my gosh! Like, I say this for me, the Islam that I that I converted to expanded the knowledge, my knowledge opened my eyes, broadened it like scholars like Dr. Amina Wadud, uh, a beautiful African-American scholar whose, you know, gender jihad book like blew the roof off of, literally, blew the roof off of gender in within Islam. People talking about that in the modern context too as well. Um, also too as well, I mean, the solidarity that we've seen through uh, the work we do with, um, it's called the, uh, it's called the uh, Inner Circle in Cape Town. I mean, um, one of my best memories is performing in Cape Town. And, uh, cool. you know, doing a song called Allah, Allah Who. And that was for a world-renowned queer folks within Islam, um, you know, places in Egypt, spaces and places that I wouldn't even get on plane to go to. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Even though I've been to Saudi Arabia, that's also another whole story. Wow. <laughs> um, you, um, they were in this room, and it was great to be in the rooms with those type of people, too, so artists and activists that are making a change that way. Yeah. That's also another hat I wear. Yeah, or Kufi, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> oh, you are like truly one of the most dynamic, just energizing beings I have had the pleasure to get to know. Yay! Vibe, cosmos, <laughs> and um, thank you for this time. Wow, you're welcome. you enjoyed my conversation with Troy as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. We actually had our call over video as opposed to a phone call, which is how I've been doing these interviews mostly since the COVID-19 pandemic began. And that was actually really refreshing to see Troy's beautiful face. I'll include links where our listeners can learn more about Troy, including to his website, to the music video he mentioned in our interview called Icons, which is fabulously done, as well as to where you can find his clothing line, which is currently for kids, but will be expanding to grown-up sizes soon. I've mentioned in previous episodes, but I'm very actively looking for future podcast guests in Canada, in the United States, anywhere around the world, truly. If you're part of a nightlife community that has been impacted by COVID-19 or has a a dynamic history to it prior to COVID-19 and you want to share how you're fostering connection despite the current restrictions in place in most parts of the world, please feel free to reach out. Uh, The best way is to send an email to info at neverapart.com with the word podcast in the subject line. A huge thank you to the team at Never Apart in Montreal for supporting production of this podcast, as well as to Jack Fox in Vancouver for sound editing and DJ Dickie Doo in Berlin for the theme song. You can find me on Instagram at... Jordan King Archive, J-O-R-D-A-N, King Archive, and then also on my website, jordankingarchive.com. Thanks so much for listening, and you'll hear me next month.